Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Billy Baldwin, I've known him for 28 years. Uh, I made my way by recommendation to the barber shop where he cut hair alongside his father. And I got to know him. I had reason to believe he was not a Christian at the time I first met him. But it took something as radical as being given the news that his life was hanging by a slender thread. The reality is, without being dramatic or overly dramatic, that's true of all of us in lots of ways. John Foster's here. John was a customer of Billy's long before I was. I'm sure John could give testimony. But what we know is that this young man, when he came to the realization that his life was possibly coming to an end more rapidly than he had thought, it drew him to Jesus, and he gave his life to Christ. And what a testimony. I have seen this testimony several times before, and each time God speaks to my heart. It reminds me of the passage of Scripture that we're looking at today in John chapter 17. If you've been with us recently, you know we've been studying through the book of John Last week we looked at the first two verses of John 17 and we're going to concentrate primarily on one verse today. and That will be verse 3, but we're going to read the section John 17, 1 through 5. <clears throat> These things Jesus spoke and lifting up His eyes to heaven, He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son and the Son may glorify you, even as you gave Him authority over all mankind, that to all whom you have given Him, He may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. And now glorify me together with yourself, Father, with the glory with which I with you had before the world was. In January, actually I believe it was February of this year, I was sitting one Wednesday evening in Jason's Deli and across from me, a man whom I had invited to come visit with me was there. His name, first name was Christian, still is. Christian. And I had had a burden on my heart to share the gospel with Christian for quite some time. His wife was active in our church and I said, I've got to get with him. And the Lord arranged for that. And I shared the gospel with him. And the question I asked of him is a question that I've often asked other people is a diagnostic tool to know where they really are in relationship to God. And the question is a rather simple question. Have you come to the place in your life that you know for sure that you have eternal life? 
And he looked at me and he gave me an answer I had never received before. He said, why would anyone want to live eternally? And what lay behind his response was his life in this world had been so miserable. He didn't use those words, but that's the conclusion I reached that why would he want to live beyond this physical life? We continued to talk. He did not want to receive the gift of eternal life. So if you think of the name Christian, please pray for this young man that he would have his eyes opened to see the reality of who Christ is and what Christ can do for us. Let's look at verse 3. Remembering that among the things which God the Father gave to Jesus were people who became the sheep of Christ and He gave them eternal life. Notice the heavy emphasis in this passage and throughout the Bible that eternal life is a gift. Billy mentioned that in his testimony. It's something that is neither deserved nor can be earned. It is a gift from God. In verse 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is the most succinct description of what eternal life is made of. In the book of 1 John, written by the same human author, and of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, who is the actual author of Scripture, this is what we read. The witness is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. And by the way, I'm misquoting it from the New American Standard Bible. This is what it says. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. The other modern translations do not use the word the. It doesn't sound quite right, does it? The life. It's just life. And that's true. But the biblical writer uses the word the as if to set this kind of life apart from all facsimiles of life. There is only one life that counts. This word is used 36 times in the gospel of Jesus Christ and multiple times in the writing of John over in 1 John chapter 5. And then the scripture goes on to say, the next verse, I write these things to you in order that you may know that you have eternal life. The Lord wants us to know. And today he's going to explain that or reiterate that to us who already have been blessed by coming to receive the gift of eternal life. We must remember that the idea of eternal life has something to do with quantity of life, but that is secondary to the primary emphasis in the concept. It's not just a concept, it's a truth that eternal life is a quality of life that cannot be experienced apart from receiving that gift from Jesus Christ. And actually, 
The gift is Jesus Himself. On more than one occasion in the Gospel of John, you know that Jesus describes Himself as the life. I am the resurrection and the life, He says in the 11th chapter. He also says in the 14th chapter, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In the introduction to the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being that have come into being. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. People who do not yet know Christ are people who live in a certain sort of darkness in their lives. Christian is an example of that. He has a very dark view of life, and he wants nothing to do with afterlife because of that. It would be a continuation of what he has found to be burdensome in his life. So eternal life is a quality of life that far supersedes the idea of quantity of life. There is an element of the everlasting. We know that in that life. But it's a place where time is no more. It's eternity with the Lord forever. Life that's not eternal life might be compared to a factory outlet kind of existence. And when I was young, I was introduced to factory outlets for clothing. And from that point forward, I determined I'm never going to pay full price for any stitch of clothing. And I have almost fulfilled that promise over the next 55 years or so. But what I know is that I, I knew there were flaws in the clothing. And I looked and looked and looked before I would buy a suit or a shirt to make sure that the flaws were not visible and only I would know it. But I knew it was not first rate. As I progressed into adulthood and got married, and my wife and I were on a rather slender kind of income, and we needed a washer washing machine. And guess what I did? I went to the Sears outlet. You know, I'm very sad that Sears does not have any outlets anymore because I like to go and there would be a dent in it or something. The, the inward parts that do the work, they worked, but it was flawed in some way, been dented. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you have frequented outlet malls and factory outlets just like I have. The question for you today is, would you say you have the kind of quality of life that is expressed in the scripture that Jesus even speaks of in the 10th chapter? You know what it says, where he says, I've come that you might have life and might have it more abundantly. He prefaced that by saying, the thief comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. And he was speaking of Satan in that point. But do you have an abundant life? And may I 
expound a little bit about what the word abundance means. It's a mathematical term, which means that you will always have more than you need. It's not about being rich financially. It's about being rich spiritually. And the riches of Christ, we have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And when Paul writes in another place, that's in Ephesians, but he writes in the book of 2 Corinthians about Jesus, though he was rich, that's stating it poorly, really, rich, Jesus was, he became poor on our behalf in order that we might become the recipients of the riches of the grace of God. This is the life we have. A life that is not dependent upon circumstances. Just like we saw in Billy, he was very candid, wasn't he, in his testimony? He said he was not going to lie. It, it really set him back. And there were moments throughout the entirety of his battle with this dread disease that he was set back. But the Lord always got him back in sync. That's the way it is with the Lord, isn't it? We have trouble in this world. We who know Jesus, we have trouble. And it shouldn't be surprising. He promised it in John 16, the last verse. Look at 33 of John 16. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. And by the way, where does he dwell? I'm talking about Jesus now. Where does he live? He lives in us. And his presence in our lives gives us access to his mind. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. We can be encouraged by his word speaking to us. And I don't know about you. There have been many times I had no right to be joyful. But I concentrated on the Lord and for some reason, he allowed me to be lifted up from a very dark place in my life. And there was light there. Makes sense, doesn't it? In him is life, and the life is the light of the world. This is what Christ would say to us today about what an abundant life is. It's eternal life. It's a quality of life. It's the opposite of perishing. I would be remiss if I didn't touch on this, at least briefly. The Bible says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life or eternal life. Perish. And the Bible talks about this perishing, by the way, in at least two places, more probably. But one in Matthew chapter 25, at the judgment of mankind, the Lord will speak to those who did not know him, who did not find themselves in a position to have eternal life because they had not responded to the Lord as they ought. It says they will have an existence in eternal fire. Now that's quite a description, isn't it? Eternal fire. 
And then Paul in 2 Corinthians 1.9 talks about those who reject the person of Christ. Those people are going to live in a state of eternal destruction. Those words don't even go together, do they? They don't make sense to us, eternal destruction. When we think of destruction, what do we think of? Annihilation, isn't that true? Eternal destruction. So eternal life is the opposite of perishing, and aren't you glad? Wow, it may not be the best motive to give your life to Christ to escape eternal punishment, but I know of people, and there probably are people here today, who are motivated to cross over the line from spiritual death to spiritual life by trusting Christ because they didn't want to die and go to hell. And God saved them. We don't always have the best motives, but the Spirit of God works on us. He knows how to touch our hearts and draw us to Himself. It's wonderful to think about that. Eternal life, if you are a recipient of it, carries with it security. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life, and they shall never perish. Wow. Jesus is intent upon getting his message across to us, isn't he? And give us a sense of security. Thank the Lord for that security as part of what it means. Eternal life is not for those who cling to their own existence. We don't have a death wish if we know Christ, but we do have to die. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and, and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That's from chapter 12, if you're, you're near there. So I'm just going to ask you to turn and look at the verse which follows John 12, 24. Jesus says in 1225 of the Gospel of John, He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world shall keep it to life eternal. What's that all about? Well, Jesus gives us more clarification when we go to Mark, the 8th chapter. Just listen. He says this in Matthew and Luke as well. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The cross is an instrument of death. We know from studying the documents of ancient Rome that there are only three accounts that are actually available that would indicate people who were crucified. Only men could be crucified because of the exposure of their body. They were crucified naked. Can you imagine our Lord Jesus Christ suffering the humiliation of being naked before the whole world? But only three survived it. They were taken off the cross. And of those three, only one lived. The other two died shortly thereafter. So we are people who are called upon like a grain of wheat, if it doesn't fall in the ground, it remains by itself alone. In other words, that life is so self-centered that it cannot make a contribution that that life 
could have made if the person had received the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the promise, of course, is that if we die in the sense of saying no to ourselves in order we might say yes to the Lord, and He uses us to spread His love and His life, then the good news is that our lives will count, not just for time, but for eternity. A funeral must occur before there's a new birth. We're told in the Bible, in the book of John, you must be born again. But we have to die to ourselves. Do you understand this? In the sense of saying no to yourself in order that you might follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus condenses the meaning of eternal life for us to the sentence in chapter 17. Let's visit it once more. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Notice, this is a Christmas verse, isn't it? Jesus Christ, whom you sent, so that we could know God. The audacity of our thinking that we, I'm going to personalize, that Mike Woods could know God. That's crazy in a sense when we think about it, but we know it's true. Those of us who have come to know him, we know it's true. We have a personal faith that results in intimacy with the one true God. He is our Father. So, in this passage of Scripture, in order that we can have eternal life by knowing the only true God is why God sent Jesus into this world. Let's spend a bit of time on the concept of knowing. What does knowing mean? It's more than just factual information. There is a certain amount of truth that is in a propositional form that we have to understand that God became man in the person of Jesus Christ. That that person, Jesus Christ, died to pay the penalty for my sin on the cross. When He was crucified, He became sin on my behalf in order that I might be made right with God. And same with you. So we have to know that. We know also that we must believe in the resurrection of, the Jesus, of Jesus Christ. That He didn't remain dead, but He was raised from the dead. And His having been raised from the dead set Him apart from people who had preceded Him, who were heroes, who died martyrs' death for a cause, and those who have followed. None of those has raised from the dead. I was visiting with someone just yesterday and we were talking about how he came to Christ. I was asking him, would you tell me how you came to know Jesus? And he told me that when he was introduced to the truth of the resurrection, he said, I knew about the cross. I knew that Christ died for me, but no one had ever explained the resurrection to me. He'd gone to Sunday school as a child, but he never had heard about the resurrection. And it came on like a light, and he realized he's alive. 
And if he is alive, he's the most unique being who's ever walked the face of the earth. He is who he says he is. He is God come in the flesh. And he gave his life to the Lord. We have to have a certain amount of information, don't we? The Christian life is not simply about experience. But we need not neglect the experiential side of the Christian faith. We do to our own peril. It is more than knowing about a person. It's an intimate, personal relationship with the one true God. Ways we use know in conversation about other people vary from person to person. But let me just share some things I jotted down here when I was preparing this message. I know who she is, but I don't know her personally. A lot of people may know who Jesus is. They may know who God the Father is, but they might not know either of them personally. And we have to have that kind of personal relationship. I've lived a long time, obviously. And I thought of some of the people that I have met. And I've actually had a handshake with them. And these names may mean nothing to you, and that's okay. Billy Graham, most in the room will recognize that name. I met Billy Graham. I was one of probably a thousand people whom he met that night. He was at a fundraiser at the seminary where I attended to prepare to become a pastor. My wife and I somehow or another had been given tickets by the parents of a child that we worked with in Young Life. I and my wife were working in Young Life and ministering to high school students. And when Sally told me when I got home one day that this woman had called and said, would you like two tickets? I said, there's no way. Billy Graham is not going to be at the seminary. That would be all over the seminary. It was like two days before. I had not heard anything about it. And then I began to check a little bit, and sure enough, he was coming. But of course, they were keeping it quiet because they didn't want the 4,000 students to come and want to get to meet Dr. Graham. Well, we dressed up in the best clothes we had, and yes, I was wearing an outlet factory flawed (laughs) suit. And so we walk into the student center, a beautiful building for students, but included to the second floor, there was this huge banquet room, probably three times as large as this, and a ballroom. Now, Baptists don't dance, so I don't know why they called it a ballroom, you know, but it was at one end of the building, and the place for the banquet was at another end of the building. And I walked in the door, and I saw all these women with fur coats or stoles. And there's nothing wrong with having that. I'm not commenting about that. And they were, and they were dressed to the nines and I saw people being driven up in a limo and getting out. I said, I told Sally, I said, I don't think we belong here tonight. So, and I, I didn't feel inferior to those people. I don't think, I don't remember feeling inferior, but it was just a different sort of people. They were there to raise money, the Billy Graham People were helping in the raising of money for construction on the campus there at the seminary. Uh, 
So I saw one of the vice presidents, Mr. Day, he's Vice President Day, and I came, there was a spiral staircase going up to the second floor, and he was greeting people, you know, glad-handing. He was kind of the guy that was a big fundraiser in the administration. I came up to him. He didn't know me from Adam. And I said, Dr. Day, may I have a word with you? And I explained the circumstances of how we ended up getting to go. And he said, you and your wife come with me. And so we followed him up the stairs. And instead of turning left to go where the banquet was going to be held, we went right to an empty ballroom. That was a huge place. And we felt, I, I know I did, and I think Sally did too, we felt really weird. We, we began to get a sense of what it's like to be on the outside looking in because of our socioeconomic status. And we just stood there for a little while, and I don't remember what we talked about, but I have a mental picture of being there. And then in a few minutes, Dr. Day came back in, and he said, you and your wife come on into the banquet. And we did. We had tickets anyway. We hadn't paid a dime for them, but we had them. The people who gave them to us probably paid hundreds of dollars for them. I don't remember. That's a long time ago. But anyway, part of the promotion there was that everybody got an opportunity to file by and shake hands with Mr. Graham. And we did shake his hand. And his eyes, clearest blue eyes, I may have ever seen on a person. And you could tell he really was genuine in saying, it's nice to meet you. It was nice to have that. But I could have asked Billy, and I introduced myself to Billy Graham, and I could have asked him the next hour, do you remember my name? And he probably wouldn't, no knock on him, but he's, he's pressed the flesh for an hour about a thousand people. He's not going to try to remember their name. But the point is, I could say, I know Billy Graham. But do I really know Billy Graham? No, I don't. Because I haven't spent time with him. I hope you get the, my drift. There are other people I could mention here, but time will not allow it. Have you ever said, I know him, but he won't remember me? In effect, I've already talked about that. This is why I asked the reading of Isaiah 49, 14 through 16. Did you catch the gist of that reading? What does Isaiah say? Your mother may forget you. That's unbelievable, isn't it? But the Lord will never forget you if you are his child. And how do you become his child? Through Jesus Christ and getting to know God the Father through Jesus, the Son of God. And the scripture says, I have inscribed you on the palm of my hand. Your name, if you know Jesus, is inscribed on the hand of God the Father. We know that's figurative language, but it's in His memory bank, and He will never let it be erased. Once you receive the gift of eternal life, that's enough to make me want to get saved all over again when I think about it. He doesn't forgive us. Forget us. God is a sole source 
has as the sole source of His delight in knowing you and me. I can't imagine that really either. In the book of Hosea 6, verse 6, easy to remember, God says, I do not delight in burnt offerings. I delight in your knowledge of me. And remember, this is knowledge that's relational in nature. It's my experience with Him. And it's one which everyone may have who has received Christ. It's not for one section or segment of the Christian community, but it's for all of us. You can have eternal life by knowing the only true God. Do you know Him? You can have eternal life. This sounds a bit redundant, but look again at verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So the second statement, simple statement, but profound, beyond our ability to plumb the depths of it, you can have eternal life by knowing God through Christ, whom God sent. Have you tried to engage a person who speaks a different language and that person doesn't know your language well and you don't know that person's language well? Is that frustrating? I have too many stories to tell about that. None of them worked out all that well. I walked away in many cases without understanding anything or helping that person to understand things that she or he was seeking from me. Understanding God is a sheer impossibility apart from the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus is the representative of God the Father. Notice I didn't say the representative of God because He is fully God too. But He was sent, remember? He was God's ambassador. The Bible even describes Jesus as the apostle of God to bring the good news into this world. This is the kind of Lord we have and the intimacy that He wants us to have. Understanding God is a sheer impossibility. Jesus, we've seen already today and else other times too, He's the Word, isn't He? He's the one who breaks down all language barriers. In the book of Matthew eleven twenty-seven, 27, I, I'd like you to look at it. I want you to see it with your own eyes. Turn back to Matthew eleven twenty-seven. And we're going to break in in the middle of this, this verse. And these are the words of Jesus that nobody knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. When Jesus reveals Himself to a person, He doesn't do it on a whim. He does it in according with His own will. And no one knows the Father unless Jesus introduces that person to God the Father. Have you been the recipient of eternal life? If you have, it's because Jesus willed that so. Are you still on the outside looking in? 
Could you say, I want to know him, but I do not yet really know him. I can't say with confidence that I know him. Well, what you need to understand is that you surrender to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to know you. I feel a compulsion to know you. Would you please let me know you so that I can know God the Father and you too and have eternal life. I want this quality of life that is not possible apart from my knowing you. Oh, happy day that is in my memory and perhaps it is in yours too. If you know Jesus, you know that's the case. Jesus Christ is the perfect interpreter of God. He breaks the language barrier between us and God. Jesus actually brings us into the confidence of himself. Not too long ago in John 15, we saw what Jesus said to his apostles right before he left. He said, no longer do I call you slaves, for a slave does not know what his master is doing. I have called you, what? Friend. Friends. Friends of the God-man, Jesus Christ. Friends with the one through whom all things came into being. Not just you or me, but all things in creation. And those things are held, the Bible says in Colossians 1, by together by none other than Jesus Christ. The implication is all things are held together by Him. If for one instant Jesus took His hand off, the whole shebang would disintegrate. There will be a day when the present earth will be demolished and I'm sure Jesus will have a hand in that. In Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, God says, My people perish for lack of knowledge. We would perish and go out into eternity without God because we didn't come to know God. We didn't have the opportunity to hear about the eternal life and how it's the people who are given to Jesus, He gives them eternal life. I would imagine you wouldn't be here today on accident. I would just say nobody's here by accident. And you, by having been here, if the Lord is speaking to you, don't delay receiving Him as your Lord and Savior one more moment because this is a prime moment for you, a turning point moment where you can finally receive Jesus and eternal life by simply saying, Lord, please forgive me of my sin. Thank you for opening my eyes to my need for you. And Lord, please save me. Wash me clean. And you know what? He answers that prayer. He is bound by his own integrity by His own promise. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved from perishing. 
and saved for something. The rest of this life will be qualitative. It will be used by God to bring glory to Him and will be used by God to bring other people to Him through you. You will have an instrumental role to play in God's economy. I'd like to read a quotation from a man, I wish I could talk about him, for, I could for probably 45 minutes, but I'm not going to talk about him except to say his name was George Mueller. He was one of the choice tools in God's hand. He was a man who rescued thousands of orphans. Listen to what he wrote. The more we know of God, the happier we are. When we become a little acquainted with God, our true happiness commenced. And the more we became acquainted with Him, the more truly happy we become. What will make us so exceedingly happy in heaven? It will be the fuller knowledge of God. Amen? Because knowledge of God is eternal life. Isn't that what the Bible says? When Calvin Coolidge, who was one uh, of the less flashy, thank God, he was a believer in Christ, less fash, flashy presidents, died, word got out and someone heard it and quipped, how can you tell he died? Because he was just so bland. And then George Bernard Shaw says, many people die at age 30 and aren't buried till age 60. It's true, isn't it? You know some people like that. But when we come to know Christ, there is a joy that's unspeakable and full of grace because of the presence of the Lord in us and what He gives to us, and that joy is not to be canned inside of us. What's it for? It's effervescent. It gets out of us, and it is something that is used by God to draw people to Christ. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter 3, always be ready to give an answer to those who ask you where your hope comes from. When they're persecuted, how can you Rejoice. Jesus says rejoice when you are persecuted. Why? Because God uses this extraordinary response to trouble in order to get the attention of people. Make some people matter, of course. So as we finish today, if you're here and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and there are people in this room who are in that Situation. I don't know you, but I know that it would be true in a crowd this large. It's not about being a church member. It's not about being baptized. It's not about being a good person. It's not about helping people. It's about Christ doing for you and me what we cannot do for ourselves by saving us, having paid for our sins and that's verified by His being raised from the dead. It's about our yielding our lives to Him. That's eternal life. Are you tired of a factory outlet kind of existence, a bargain basement existence? Then, like Bill Bowen, he said, I surrendered to Christ. You notice how he gestured? I surrendered to Christ. And he, his hands were open palm. That's what we have to do. We just have to let go because in Psalm 46, 10, the Bible says, 
be still and know that I'm God. Then the word translated be still literally is let go and know that I'm God. We all have an expiration date, don't we? The Bible says man knows not his time. In the book of Ecclesiastes, none of us knows when we're going to leave this world. And the Bible also says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that comes the judgment. Now here's the good news for us who know Christ or who will know Christ. When we know Jesus Christ, you know what He's going to be doing for us? He will live to make intercession for us, just like He did on the cross. But He will be there to make sure that nothing can separate us from God. Nothing. Because Jesus Christ has come to dwell in us and He's given us the gift of eternal life. Eternal life is for you. And Jesus is the one who can give it. And now's the time to accept the gift of eternal life. Would you bow your head? If you have never received Christ, or if you're not sure you have, remember what the Scripture says. This is the witness that Christ died for your sin. As many as receive Him, open your heart to Him and say, Lord Jesus, I need You. I'm sorry that I have kept You at arm's length and I ask You, Lord, to please forgive me and come into my life and empower me to follow You for the rest of my life to honor You Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus into the world so that you could send him into my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.